Today we are in week two of our uh, series, Convictions, and we are talking about the convictions that shape our Christian faith and what we believe. And last week we started this conversation about the non-negotiable truths of the Christian faith, because all too often we, we tend to just kind of say, yes, we believe. We don't really understand or, or, or know what that encompasses. And, and, and we, we oftentimes maybe kind of get in the weeds with uh, what we truly believe, and we don't know how to define that when somebody asks us a question. And so we're really digging into understanding what it is, those, those beliefs that we hold so true uh, that we would die for them. And while every one of us has thoughts and opinions that we feel strongly about, we talked about those last week, the difference between opinions, beliefs, and convictions. But beliefs are those things that shape the way we live our lives, the way that we see the world. And the fundamental truths of our faith in Jesus should should literally be the basis for how we live. They should shape the lens by which we see the world. And this week, we, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Last week, we talked about Scripture. We talked about the Word of God. We talked about the inspired and inerrant Word of God. We believe that the Bible is our guidebook for life and that it comes alive when we engage it. And this week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the convictions that shape our Christian faith as we discuss the Trinity. Yeah, we're going to dig into the Trinity. Now, the mystery of the Trinity really, truly confronts us with a decision to take a leap of faith. Will we choose to believe the Trinity or not? Interestingly, the word Trinity never shows up in Scripture anywhere. And yet we believe in this Trinitarian God, this triune nature. And even though it doesn't show up in Scripture, it shapes our foundational understanding of who God is. We believe that God is one, Yet he reveals himself in three different persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it becomes complicated and, and complex and confusing at times. So buckle up today, because no matter how absurd the idea of the Trinity might seem, we believe it because Scripture, which we established last week, is truth, expresses it even though that particular word is not used. So in an effort to to lay the groundwork for our conversation today, I I found this video that I hope will help us kind of with a, you know, kind of a launching point into our conversation. Take a look at the screen. So there you go. It's clear as mud, right? That's my free gift to you. We're just going to pray and dismiss you. You can go enjoy your day. No, it's, it's, it's difficult. This, this idea of the triune God, the Trinity, is hard to comprehend because it doesn't make sense in our reality. Somebody came up to me after service and said, yeah, but we're, we're spirit, soul, and, and, and body. I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And yet we don't probably see ourselves that way every day. And so it's hard to grapple with this reality that God is one God, Yet he exists in three persons. An author by the name of David Wells in his book, Basics of the Reformed Faith, begins the conversation about the Trinity by stating, this much is certain, 
Had the Christian faith merely been a human invention, Christians would never have come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. This doctrine is too thorny to understand and too difficult to explain for anyone to have deliberately fabricated it. There's no other religion that has anything remotely like this. No, this is not the fruit of our imagination, but a doctrine of the way things are. God is triune. So what does that word mean, triune? Because it maybe makes sense when we talk about the Trinity, but otherwise it's not where we use in every day. But the word triune literally means consisting of three and one. Consisting of three parts or three members. And so God is God, and yet he is, exists as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to our convictions regarding the Trinity, there's a, a few things that we must grasp. We need to grasp that to understand the Trinity, we need to start by embracing there's only one God. There's religions throughout the world who say, God is who you say he is, God is a tree, God is whatever I make him, I am God. And so there's all these different belief structures that convolute the conversation who God truly is. But we must embrace that there is one God. And when we, when we discuss the Trinity, it's important that we start with the foundation that there's only one God. Among Jews uh, in, the, in the time of Jesus, and even today, there's this declaration of faith is central to their belief in God. It's known in the Jewish culture as, as the Shema, and is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. It was referenced in the video. But twice a day during ritual prayers, Jewish people recite the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the declaration of their faith is that God is one, that he is one. And these words are placed inside the, what's called the Teflon, and they wear it on their wrists and on their forehead, or they're written on a, a piece of parchment paper and placed inside what's called the mezuzah on the door frames of their home. And it's talked about in scripture. But this central reality that God is one is the foundation of what they believe. So why then is it important? Why do we draw attention to the Trinity? Because the Trinity doesn't mean that we, we worship three gods. That would be... Uh, not fair representation of the Trinity. It means we worship one God. Literally, Trinitarianism is monotheism. It is the belief that there is one God who exists in three persons. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. All right, I see some eyes crossing. Though the word Trinity is not found in Scripture anywhere, the Bible is filled with references to a three-person God. We see it all over Scripture. Take our main text today, found in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you've read the Bible or picked it up or flipped through it, chances are if you read a book like normal people do in the Western civilization and the English language, you may have started in Genesis chapter 1. With verse 1. So this might be familiar to you. But Genesis chapter 1, 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in the midst of a culture that is espousing everything as truth, it's all about your truth, my truth. Father, I pray that you bring us back to this place of understanding who you are, that you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die a shameful death so that we could have life as he was resurrected on the third day. And then as Jesus ascended into heaven, you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That power to to live the Christian life, to, to follow you with our whole heart and to guide us and direct us in the steps we take in life. Pray, Father, as we spend time in your word today, that you would awaken our hearts to understand the realities of Scripture, the truth that exists, and who you are, one God who exists in three persons and interacts with us as such. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you. Pray your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So right away we see in this passage of Scripture, right at the beginning of the Bible, three entities, three persons interacting in the act of creation. Right at the beginning, God created. Verse 1 informs us that in the beginning God created, and we read there's one God. Not like, hey, all these people were hanging out and they all took different aspects of the creation process. But we read read God created. But then in verse 2, it tells us that the Spirit of God was there too. It's hovering over the waters. He was present in the creation process. Then finally in verse 3, we see God created by speaking. He didn't wave a magic wand. He didn't point. He spoke. He spoke and things came into existence. And we're reminded in the New Testament that the New Testament reveals oftentimes what the Old Testament conceals. Sometimes the Old Testament can be confusing and we go, "Ah, I don't really understand that. And then we flip to the New Testament and it gets a little bit easier to understand and comprehend. But in John chapter 1, verse 1, we see another aspect of the beginning. When John 1 says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. You know, The scripture says, the word of God is God. And through this word, all things were made. And further, in verse 14, later in this chapter, this word is is identified to be Jesus. The very word of God is is Jesus. And that light is shined into the world. 
and we see that Jesus was as much a part of the creation process as God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so, though we worship one God, we embrace the three persons of the Trinity and further understand that they work in harmony together. The creation process and all these other elements and aspects of our lives. So we've got to understand that the Trinity exists and to understand it, we have to embrace there's only one true God. The second reality is we need to understand the Trinity helps us understand the qualities of God described in Scripture. There are qualities of God that we struggle to embrace because God is God. And too often we get focused on the mystery of the Trinity, missing the ways in which God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are depicted in Scripture. Because we see clearly all through, throughout the Bible, God referenced and characterized. But we tend to espouse certain qualities to one person or the other in the Trinity. God is all-powerful, and he's omnipresent, and he's everywhere. And Maybe we look at Jesus and we say, well, he was the son who you know, was sent to the earth to die, and that was his role. The Holy Spirit, well, the Holy Spirit is this, this, you know, this, this spirit that allows us to understand what God's desire for our life is, and we tend to kind of assign certain roles. Qualities such as eternal, or creator, or holy, or truth, or love, and we, God is love. And yet we see these qualities in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me share some scripture that might help us. If we were to say God is eternal, we might look at Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. The proclamation that God is eternal. And yet in John chapter 1, go back to that text, verse 2, speaking of Jesus, the word, was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says he existed in the beginning with God. So that means that Jesus is eternal. And yet, there again in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we see the role of the Holy Spirit as eternal. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. Or maybe we look at the glory of God and we tend to focus that on just God the Father. And yet in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son, forgave our sins. We speak of the glory of God. Yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. So Jesus is glory. He represents our glorious Lord as a man. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. 
So the Spirit of God is glory. So now all of a sudden we, we begin to see the attributes of who God is. One God, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son all working in harmony. We talked about truth a lot last week. That we live in a society and a culture that espouses whatever your truth is. Just go with that. Find your own truth. Discover your truth. And yet scripture tells us that God is truth. Jesus is truth. And is the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 verse 28. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me and you know where I come from. But I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. Jesus was speaking of God the Father, speaking of him as truth, and saying we don't know him. And yet in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in order to really know and understand God the Father, we have to go through the Son. And finally, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, it says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So the Spirit of God is truth. So we embrace God as one, existing in three persons. I know, it gets pretty sticky. It's important that we learn to see the qualities of God in each of the three persons of the Trinity, because they exist there. And this will give us a much greater level of understanding as we strive to grasp the individual persons existing in the Trinity. Because it's hard to conceptualize God. Because he's God. But the Trinity helps us understand these qualities that are described all over Scripture. The final thought is this today. The persons of the Trinity are named side by side. Though we see all these different attributes of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, maybe your experience in your walk has been one of experience and encounter with one or the other. We see in Scripture that the persons of the Trinity are named together many times. Let me give you a few examples. Most notably, we see it at the time of Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes throughout his ministry, and then he goes out to the river where John the Baptist is baptizing people, and he surrenders himself to John the Baptist. You'd think Jesus would go and baptize himself or do something like that, but he, he puts himself and submits himself to John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Another translation, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So in this situation, we see Jesus, the son, God the father, speaking from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. 
So all three persons of the Godhead are together. We can also see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit referenced in the Great Commission. As Jesus is preparing to ascend into heaven, he gives this directive to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why all three? Because God is one, existing in three persons. And at the end of the day, Scripture speaks clearly of who God is. And it's Scripture speaks clearly of the Trinity. While the word itself is not in there, it is useful, but it doesn't always give us the depth needed to truly understand the three individual persons of God. Truly, the mystery of the Trinity is is just that. It's a mystery. And there's a lot of elements of our faith that are mysterious. Just saying, I believe in God, I can't see God, but I believe in him, is an act of faith. Too often people will kind of think we're wacky and we're weird because we believe in God and we believe that that Jesus showed up on the earth and that he did all these things and yet there's historical context to confirm everything. But we oftentimes don't want to wade into things like the Trinity when it comes to our convictions because it's hard to explain. And yet there are elements of our journey of walking with Jesus that are just that. They're faith-filled. And it's by faith we engage our worship of one God. It's by faith we acknowledge the important roles of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our journey of faith. And so we have to be willing to acknowledge we're not going to be able to understand or conceive who God is until we stand face to face. Because it's too great and it's too awesome and it's too complex. And yet we can still try to understand what Scripture tells us. As we come to this place of, of engaging our convictions and understanding what we believe, it's important that we spend time in the Word. It's, in, it's important that we study Scripture because we want to be able to give an answer to those who are looking for hope, those who are struggling through life, that are going down destructive paths, who are struggling, who are discouraged, who think, I don't have a purpose in this life. I'm here, and then I'm gone, and there's nothing. But we know that we have a hope, that we possess a hope because God has purposed us, that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And none of us is an accident. And so as we engage the person of God, we can remember that God the Father spoke us into existence, that Jesus came so that we could have life and relationship with Father God through his shed blood on the cross, and that God saw fit to send the Holy Spirit to be that guide, to be that direction, to be that comforter when we struggle in life. 
I don't know about you, but I learned a long time ago that it, you know, always let your conscience be your guide. You know, Jiminy Cricket. It's an old reference to kids. But that conscience is, is quite literally the, the Spirit of God speaking through us to help to guide and direct our steps, to, to help keep us from destructive things, to help us keep from becoming discouraged in the uncertainty of life. So we need to press into who God is each and every day, understanding that he exists as one God in three persons. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you exist as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that you have been working in harmony since the beginning. And so today we acknowledge, Father, that you love us. We acknowledge that you've come, that you sent your Son so that we could have life and a relationship with you that you sent the Spirit of God to help guide and direct our steps, to comfort us in those times when we don't feel your presence. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us to to understand that you love us, and that we wouldn't get lost in the shuffle and the complexities of Scripture, that we wouldn't get wrapped up in in trying to understand who you are. Because there's an aspect that is just faith-filled when we just say simply, God, I believe. Jesus, I thank you for coming and for giving your life so that I could live and have life abundant. Holy Spirit, I thank you for guiding and directing me, for never putting me in that place where I feel like I've been forgotten. And so today, if that's you, you've, you feel like you've been chasing after purpose. You feel like you've been chasing some elusive dream in life. And you're exhausted and you're tired. My hope is that you would hear that God loves you. That he desires relationship. That he has a plan and a purpose. So this morning, as we come into this place of embracing who God is, pray that we would accept him with faith, knowing and believing that first and foremost, he loves. So God, we love you, and we we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for seeing us in our sin for seeing us in our decision-making that was taking us far away from you and you called us to yourself. We thank you that you don't ask us to clean ourselves up or become perfect. Or you only ask us to say yes, to embrace that you are who you say you are, and to confess our need of you. And when we do that, you're faithful. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our our decisions. And to save us from an eternity separated from you. God, we love you. 
And this morning, if you find yourself in that place of saying, yeah, I've, I've searched after a lot of stuff, I've chased a lot of things in life, and it's all been dead ends. And it's been a struggle, and it's been discouraging. And you desire to experience life. You ex- desire to, to understand purpose feel like your life is taking you somewhere. God has gifted you. He's given you passions. He's given you talents, all for his glory. And yet so often we chase after this and that, trying to fill the void. If today you're desiring to say, yes, God, I want you to fill that void. I want you to, 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 to be the Lord of my life. I want to live my life with purpose. I want to understand what it means to follow you with my whole heart. We would just ask you to simply say a prayer with us this morning. We believe that Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that Christ died and was resurrected, that we'll be saved. It's that simple. And yet God's greatest desire is that you would step into that relationship and say yes. So this morning, if that's you, we're going to say this prayer together as a, as a, a community, as a church family, as a body of believers who are all in this journey of faith together. So can we say this together so that nobody's embarrassed or singled out? Say this, church, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so grateful that you've made that decision today. If that's you, we would love to hear from you. We'd love you take the connection card and say, I I made a decision to follow Jesus today. You'd email us at info at albanync.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to take the next steps in your Journey of faith, get you a Bible, get you some material as you follow Jesus with your whole heart. You know, the complexities of our faith are not simple. They're not easy. They're not always really quick to grasp. But if we believe that the Bible is true, we believe that God is who he says he is, we can embrace and we can understand that God is God. And he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each and every one of those persons of the Godhead desire to interact with you each and every day, guide and direct your steps to show you hope in life. I'm excited for this week. We're going to have an awesome time. I ask that you would just be praying with us, uh, that God would show up and would impact these students and these kids, uh, that they would have an encounter with Jesus and that we would see amazing things happen in the Vacation Bible School. I'm excited for what God has in store for each of you. pray that this will be an awesome week. So as we go out of this place, let's go with hope. 
Let's go with excitement. Let's maybe let people see the presence of God on our faces. And as we go throughout our day and our week, let's always remember to be the neighborhood. God bless you and have a great week.